As many of you know, we're following the lectionary in this calendar year. And the lectionary provides many different texts for us each Sunday. Our psalm for today comes from Psalm 29. I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all say, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The word of the Lord. So as uh, John mentioned, and as you um, may remember, uh, we are continuing on a year-long journey here at Covenant. It's a year-long journey in which we are going to be living by the patterns and the rhythms of the liturgical year. This is going to be a different kind of rhythm. This is going to be a different kind of journey for many of us in a normal year. And I don't even know when you can use that term anymore of whenever, whatever the last time is. But in, the la in recent memory at Covenant, this would be a Sunday as we were launching into a new calendar year when we would begin a thematic series. And it would be a thematic series that we had worked on and written many, many months ago. It would be a series that we thought could really launch us as a congregation and us as a community into a new beginning, into uh, the new thing that God would have for us in 2022. But this year we're on a different kind of journey. It's a journey that we told you you wouldn't really notice until about now because it's a journey shaped by the liturgical calendar and by the lectionary text assigned by the church. Now, even though this began with the beginning of Advent in late November, we said that normally in Advent, we follow the, the, the liturgical year. We recognize those rhythms and patterns. So Advent felt like Advent normally does here. Christmas Eve felt like Christmas Eve normally does. But we said, once we get into January, you're gonna notice a bit of a change. And now that change is here. It's a different kind of journey and one that I hope that we enter into with a great amount of hopeful expectation for what lies ahead. Now, one of the changes, as John mentioned, is that normally we focus on one scripture passage. But every Sunday, the church assigns four different scripture passages. In our Friday e-blast and in your bulletin, you'll see all four texts that are there. They will be listed there every week so that you know which of the four texts uh, the church is assigned for that Sunday. Hopefully you can read them and review them and study them before we enter into worship. The first of the texts assigned comes from somewhere in the Old Testament. The second of the texts that will be assigned comes from one of the Psalms. Today, as John read, Psalm 29. 
The third comes from one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. And the fourth and last one comes from one of the epistles, one of the letters uh, in the rest of the New Testament. Now, what we have decided is that for the first half of this journey, for really up through Pentecost as we get into early summer, we are going to focus every single Sunday on the gospel text. Now, we might read, as we did today, one of the other texts or even more of the text. They might help shape our worship. But the gospel is what we're going to spend about half of this journey on. What's exciting about that is it means that we are going to kind of chronologically follow the journey of Jesus. This is going to be a chance for us to really understand and dive into the ministry, the teachings, the healing, the grace of Jesus. And I want to warn you from the beginning that no matter who you are, whether church has been a weekly rhythm for you or whether this is a new thing that you are just wondering about, if you immerse yourself in the person of Jesus, something is going to change in your life. You will not be the same at the end of this journey when we get to Pentecost as you are today. Because Jesus is in the business of transforming our lives and transforming our world and transforming creation. And so we're going to have a chance to kind of chronologically follow the journey of Jesus for the first half of the liturgical year. Started with the beginning of uh, Advent with the prophecies about his birth and we got to his birth on Christmas. We then last week looked at the Epiphany story, the story of the Magi, the three wise men coming and declaring that this child was indeed the Savior, the Messiah. And now what we have is a pretty big gap. It's, it's kind of amazing how we don't know much about the vast majority of Jesus' life. We don't know much about Jesus' life as an adolescent. We don't know what he was like as a teenager. We don't know what he was like as a young adult. But today we come to the text that really launches his public ministry, his adult ministry. It's the story of his baptism. And so we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 15. And I invite you to listen, to read along, and to engage in God's word to us today. Luke 3, starting in verse 15. As the people were filled with expectation... And all were questioning in their heart concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. In you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk in here today, how we worship, how we gather today, that we would hear your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when we talk about baptism here, we talk about Jesus' baptism, we need to understand that this is anchoring us in one of the sacred acts of the church, what indeed we call a sacrament, a sacred act of the church. 
Now, we come from a lot of different backgrounds. We come from a lot of different traditions and approaches to church. If you grew up in a church, some of you may have grown up in a church that had um, uh, more, uh, talked about the sacraments a lot more, might have had more sacraments than what we do. Some of you might have had uh, a tradition where you didn't talk about them very much. In our tradition, in the Reformed tradition, the Presbyterian church, we have two sacraments, okay? And the way that we define a sacrament is that a sacrament is something that Jesus did, participated in, and it's something he tells his, his followers to do as well. Something that he participated in, and that he instructs his followers to do it well. The first, as we just read about, is baptism. Jesus himself is baptized, as we just read, and he instructs his followers to go and to baptize as well. He says this at the, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, to go, therefore, and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. So again, we see that this is an act that he participates in, he's baptized, and he instructs his followers to. Anyone know the second one? Communion, yeah. At the Last Supper, we recognize Jesus takes bread and, and a cup and when he takes of these and he invites the disciples to do so, he says, when you eat of this, when you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. Meaning that as they go forward, this will be an act that they will replicate. And when we talk about these two sacraments, we need to understand that these are very thin places. That these are places where we believe heaven and earth become very thinned and intermeshed and intertwined. And baptism is something that we... Um, uh, believe that the Holy Spirit is powerfully involved in, in our lives. Now, when you think about baptism, we kind of in the church can like get into the house, right? Well, how do you baptize? Do you baptize infants or do you not baptize infants? Is it uh, older? Is it adults? And when can they make that profession? How do you think about that? And are we an immersion church? Does it have to be in a river? Does it have to be in a, in a, in a pool? Does it have to be uh, in a kind of a, a, a baptismal font uh, that people can go into or is sprinkling enough? And how do we think about that? And what's your tradition? And how do you do it? And how do we do it? What do I like? What do I not like? What I actually want us to do is to pull back a little further as we talk about baptism today. And when we think about it, I want us to understand something. That we talk about and engage in baptism like it's a given. But where did baptism come from? You ever thought about that before? Like it's kind of an interesting practice that is so central to who we are and what we're about. And if you stop and think about it, baptism didn't exist in the Old Testament. There was, there was no one who was baptized, as we think about it, in, in the Old Testament. The first we know of baptism is what we read here with John the Baptist. Now, we don't know that John the Baptist came up with the concept of baptism. Most likely, there were some sects and branches of Judaism that were practicing something like it at the time. But the fact is, this is the first place that we know that baptism as a concept we would think of took place. Where did it come from? What does it mean? What is it about? Now, in the Old Testament, you do see some kind of forerunners of what baptism means. And I want us to look at a few of these because it'll illuminate for us this practice. That we're like, oh, well, you know, we, they just got baptized to kind of pull back and go, what's going on here? What is this actually about? The first example of a forerunner that we see in the Old Testament is in the book of Exodus when the Hebrews are passing through the Red Sea. 
They pass through as Pharaoh's army is pursuing them as they've left uh, Egypt in slavery. But it is through the Red Sea that they're delivered. They enter into the waters and they come out of the waters on the other side. And Pharaoh's army, as we know, enters into the waters as well. But the waters come in and consume them. And it is through the waters that the people pass that a new season, a new chapter begins. And baptism means that. It's a new beginning and a new start. And the waters of the Red Sea are central to this new chapter in the people's story beginning. That's a part of the forerunners of baptism. You see it in a, in a similar kind of way in the next one. The Hebrew people crossing the Jordan River into the promised land. Again, after 40 years in the wilderness, they come to another body of water. And the Lord is really saying to them, this is a land that is before you, a land flowing with milk and honey. But to make the decision of whether you're going to enter into it, to make the decision of do you want this new season in your life to begin, the waters are the gateway to get there. We pass into and out of the Jordan River for a new beginning. And again, baptism means that. Or lastly, we see this in the Old Testament. Number three, the priestly purification before entering the temple. And this gets at a different way of looking at some of the elements of baptism. In the book of Leviticus, before the priest could enter into the temple, especially into the, the holiest places, the Holy of Holies, the priests would have to cleanse themselves of impurities and sin. And one of the primary ways they did this was bathing. And that bathing was a cleansing of the sin that made them able to enter into the presence of God. And again, you see how part of this is the forerunners of baptism, a cleansing of sin and, and, and entering into the presence of God. Each of these is there, but there is no concept of baptism like we think of it today. And yet it's pretty amazing that in Jesus' story, he is baptized. John is calling people into this practice that we don't know where it began, that wasn't practiced by the temple authorities. It was something kind of outside of that, but people are flocking there. Jesus goes there and is baptized, and it's become so central to who he is that he goes and says that the church that is starting baptism is what I want you to build this on. And I think it's fascinating as we sit here today to think about what this might mean for us. Because we know that there are a number of us that are worshiping together right now who are not baptized. We know that that's a part of who we are as a church. We have been growing as a congregation in recent years and we know that in those years, the majority of our new members were not members of another church before coming here. We have baptized children, we have baptized teenagers, we have baptized adults. We hope to continue to do so. And so there might be some of us that are worshiping here now that need to be considering that the new thing God's doing is calling us to get baptized. But for each and every one of us, what I want us to know is that baptism is a part, if you've already been baptized, even as an infant, it's a part of who you are. You are a part of the covenant people with God. And what I want us to think about, and I think it's really interesting that the church through the lectionary assigns these texts near the beginning of the, of the new year. Because this is a time where we're thinking about new beginnings, aren't we? We're thinking about a new start. 2021, best year ever, right? No, 2020 was not the best year either. We have been through some really difficult times. And so one of the cultural things we do as we start a new year, and we're especially doing it right now, is going, what do I hope for in this new year? The vast majority of us, and I don't want to take a poll because I know most of you are probably too mature to raise your hands for this. You made, you made some version of a New Year's resolution. You just don't want to raise your hand and admit it. 
And the reason is because we know we've probably broken them already. Studies show the majority of us made resolutions going, this is what I want to change. This is what I hope's different as I go forward. And the majority of us have already broken them. But what I actually believe is that the elements that go into this baptismal story can be a key to how you and I can actually change our lives. Change is hard. It is difficult to change the habits of our life. And it takes more than just, this year, I really mean it. It's not going to last. But one of the things I take heart in this story is that new seasons begin. Change is possible. Transformation is possible. And I think that there's elements of baptism that can speak to each of us about how change can take place. There's two things about baptism that I think are really critically important to understand about what's going on here and to understand why it means a new season that we can enter into if we claim it. And the first is this. In baptism, what I want you to know, number one, is that we are claimed by God. We are claimed by God. Every time we baptize someone, we are saying over them that God has claimed them. And what does that look like? What that looks like is here in this text where these words are spoken over Jesus in his baptism. You are my beloved and in you I am well pleased. Imagine what that was like at the time. Imagine what that was like for John the Baptist. I mean, I might have the kind of sense as a, as a, as a preacher, as a pastor, of what might that have been like? We're like, whoa, there's something that's actually happening here, right? But imagine what that was like for John the Baptist. Imagine what that was like for Jesus. Imagine what that was like for the crowd around them to hear these words spoken over Jesus. And in that spoken word, God is claiming Jesus. This is my beloved. This is the chosen one. In him I am pleased. But what's amazing about baptism and how it can change us and transform our lives when we understand it is that in baptism, what we need to hear is that God is making that same claim on you. That when you are baptized or if you have been baptized, that what God is whispering over you every day, what God is whispering over you every moment of every day is you are my beloved. You are the beloved child of God. You are claimed by God. As the Apostle Paul writes, when God looks at you and I, God sees the righteousness of Jesus that is credited to us. We are adopted children of God. And so when we are claimed in the waters of baptism, God is saying, you are my beloved. Now, why is this important for change? Because I wonder how many of our New Year's resolutions, and again, this sounds immature, but just go here with me. How many of our New Year's resolutions at some level are trying to improve our sense of worth? Of self-worth? Or how we're seen in the eyes of others? To continue down this immature train, I have a college reunion coming up this summer. You know what those are like. Everybody listening to what everybody else has done. Everybody listening to the accomplishments of each other's children. 
Everybody looking at what are the healthy patterns and non-healthy patterns. Everybody asking, do you have a second home? Everybody looking and asking, like, what are the successful, amazing things that you've done? Is your elevator speech better than my elevator speech? And there's a sense of worth that we find in that. We know we probably shouldn't, but there's a sense that we can feel worthy or not. And I don't think one of the things that can bring change about in our life is if we're seeking to build our sense of worth. Because you can't find it in your accomplishments. You can't find it in how other people look at you. You can't find it in how your resume compares or doesn't compare to someone else. That is an endless game that no one wins. How change and transformation come about is not when we're trying to prove anything, but when God is going, I want you to know who you are. Act out of freedom of what life can be, not out of a sense of needing to prove yourself to somebody. I heard a story that was really interesting in our, in our community this week uh, of a young family, uh, a mom and a dad, two kids, and they were talking about the new year. They were talking about 2022 and what they wanted to see and what they wanted to do. And in this wonderfully honest moment, one of the children said, my new year's resolution is that I want to make really good grades, better grades this year. And then he looked at his father and said, you're going to be really proud of me. The dad said that there was this kind of both heartbreaking moment, but a moment where he understood the need to stop the conversation at that moment and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have nothing to prove to me. I could not love you anymore based on what your GPA is or is not. I want you to thrive in life and your grades can be a key component of that, but there is nothing that you can do that makes me love you anymore and there is nothing that you can do bad that takes away my love for you. Do not operate under the burden of trying to make me proud because I could not love you anymore. God is speaking that over us. We are claimed. And God's going, I want new things to start in your life so that you can thrive, but you have nothing to prove to anybody. And if you can receive that, it makes the soil of change more fertile. That's number one. We are claimed by God. But number two, and similarly, in baptism, not only are we claimed by God, but we are called by God. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. This is the beginning of when Jesus moves from being a laborer and a carpenter for the most of the first 30 years of his life, blue-collar work, hard work in a rough environment, a rural environment, to moving into a ministry where he is rabbi, teacher, healer, messiah, savior. This is the beginning of something new, of a calling that God has on his life. And we also see that in the words of how baptism is described. And I want you to think about this because it's a part of your DNA if you've been baptized, that it's a baptism of repentance. Now, what does repentance mean? Because it sounds like this like heavy Lenten word. You're like, no, no, we got like three months till we got to get to that. But repentance isn't about like just naming the bad stuff. Yes, it is that confessing our sins, saying, God, these are the patterns in 2021 that were not good, that were not healthy, that were not life-giving. But repentance actually at its core means to turn and move in a new direction. And that's a whole lot more important of knowing the new direction you want to go than the bad stuff you don't want to do. That you don't get very far in life knowing what you don't want. 
We can't become the kind of church we, that God wants us to be by being clear of how we don't want to act. In the end, it's like, what do we want to do? What is God's call on us? And repentance is a moving in a new direction. And a calling which we have is a calling into something that is larger than ourselves. Jesus' calling isn't to just have a nice little life himself and to be ultra successful and to be well-branded. Jesus' calling is to go and to empty himself for the sake of the entire world. And so I wonder this, if we believe that we're claimed and if we believe we're called, I wonder if your plans and hopes for change in the new year don't work out because they're too small. Because they're not really a calling. It's just more about you and what you want. And it's not wrong to say I want to be healthier or eat healthier or exercise. I mean, none of that's bad. But that's not what life's about. And it's not very inspiring. And it's not actually going to inspire you for very long. I wonder how many of us need to be open to transformation and change, which is not something, as Craig Barnes says, that we achieve, but that life is something we receive as people of faith. That if it's much more about being open to the new thing, if it's much more than about going, God, here's my four things that I'm going to work on this year because I think it'll make me better, or if it's about saying, God, in this new year, what do you have for me? What is your call upon me? Help me to be open to receiving what you have for me. Posture me to receive what you have for me versus telling you my Santa Claus list of what my plans are. In baptism, we are claimed by God. And in baptism, we are called by God. And if we could understand that, and if we could understand how that's a part of Jesus' story here, then we could potentially enter into this new year and 12 months from now truly be in a different place. You see the difference in being claimed and called by God as we enter into a new year versus telling God, here's what I'd like? Some of you need to get baptized. Some of you need to make that choice. Some of you need to experience this in your life. And I hope that that is a choice that you will let us walk with you in. We would love to walk with you in that decision. But all of us, even if we've already been baptized, need to hear that this is part of our DNA. This is how it works. And so to launch us into the new year, the way I want to end this is I want to end this by actually a practical step. Rather than just going, we're claimed and called, which I think is true, but like, okay, so what does that mean? How do we actually do that this week? Like, how do we open ourselves to what God has? I want to invite us to begin this year with a common prayer. A prayer that I believe opens us up to what the promise of baptism is and to how change and transformation takes place. It's a very simple prayer that I am going to invite us as a congregation to pray daily this week. And maybe you'll keep praying it longer. This is a prayer that was taught to me by a mentor and friend of mine named Steve Hayner. And Steve prayed this every day. Some of you have heard this before. He prayed this every single day. He said, it's the most wonderful, it's the most dangerous prayer. He said, don't pray this if you don't really want God to show up. But this is what I prayed every day. We're going to bring it up here on the screen. Three parts to it. Lord, help me to see the world the way that you see it. Let my heart break by what breaks your heart. 
and help me not to duck. Lord, help me to see the world the way that you see it. Let my heart break by what breaks your heart and help me not to duck. Let me see the world the way that you see it. And maybe the most challenging way is knowing that you're claimed. What would it mean if you saw yourself the way God sees you? What would it mean if you saw yourself as the beloved? What would it mean if you saw your neighbors as the beloved that God has chosen? What would that mean about how you see yourself and others in this world? Help me to see the world the way you see it. Help my heart to break by what breaks your heart. It's not just by what CNN or Fox News tells me should break my heart, but what breaks the heart of God? To listen to that, to be open to that. And finally, help me to know how to respond. Help me not to duck. Help me not to assume that it's somebody else that's called to step in. But in small ways and large ways, give me the courage to respond. And my friends, if we pray that this week, we are opening ourselves up to a process that gets much closer to the process of baptism and much closer to the promise of transformation. Change is possible. It can happen. May we receive it this year through this prayer rather than seek to achieve it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are, that this prayer would meet us right now in our place, that it would guide and shape us wherever we are in our walk. And we lift this prayer up together now and then individually as we go forward this week. Lord, help me to see the world the way that you see it. Let my heart break by what breaks your heart. And help me not to duck. Amen.